Welcome to a special edition of the UK Column News. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen, and we're here in London with two special guests, Yana Yelashova and Max Vanderwerf. Uh, they are filmmakers and investigative journalists from Bonanza Media. This is an international uh, investigative journalist co uh, consortium uh, that comprises of uh, independent journalists from a number of different countries. Uh, last night, uh, we held a press conference, a public meeting, MH17, uh, awaiting trial. And uh, it was uh, very well attended. Uh, I think uh, we had uh, more or less a full house uh, at Conway Hall in central London. And uh, we had a number of people on the panel, including Max and Yana, but also uh, from Malaysia, uh, two guests as well, one audio uh, digital forensic expert, Akash Rosen, uh, and also Colonel Sakri. We'll talk about him in a minute. Yeah. But uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is a little bit of an unconventional uh, studio location for us, uh, but uh, we're glad to have you with us. Now, yesterday's event, uh, just uh, tell us your impressions, uh, how, how, you think, uh, how you think it went, but also let's uh, talk about some people on your panel as well uh, and your film. First of all, your film, uh, which you released this past summer, yep. MH17. Uh, Call for Justice. Call for Justice. And uh, this was released and... Since then, uh, you have been building on top of that investigative documentary. Yeah, uh, since then, uh, we've been able to, um, to do a lot of work. We've been able to obtain some uh, GIT documents that Is we've been leaking. Explain what the GIT is. A joint investigation team um, that are investigating its official investigation of MH17 uh, case uh, crash. Um, so we've been leaking the documents, and um, yesterday we presented another uh, leak. Uh, maybe we talk about it a, a bit later. And uh, we also been able to travel to Donbass um, and with new information check check the new information uh, from the leaked documents. And we presented a new video also yesterday to the audience. Um, we'll show that in a few minutes as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, we've been doing a lot of work. Um, we've been um, discussing with uh, Max uh, that there's a lot of new information that is surprising for us as well. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, Max uh, has been investigating this case for five years very thoroughly. Um, and still he was amazed. I mean, he had his doubts about uh, uh, the official investigation. I had my doubts about official investigation. But what we've been able to learn with these leaks, it surprised even us. It, mm -hmm. it, you know, it was like beyond our expectations how, um, I don't know, uh, um, screwed up the official investigation is. I don't know how to use the proper word, you know. I don't want to, like, sound too... Uh, but it, it definitely challenges the credibility of the official MH17 investigation. It raises a lot of questions why the uh, official investigation uh, was is being done in this way. Uh, because like one of the uh, leaks that uh, we published um, uh, was, for example, about uh, Australian police analyzing cropped pictures from social media one year after the crash, uh, so we were wondering uh, why would they waste the, uh, the official investigation would waste their time analyzing crop pictures. They didn't even have originals to analyze, and that's what they based their uh, conclusions on. 
Well, we'll, talk, we'll talk a little bit about some of the, those bits of evidence yeah. in a bit. Uh, there's audio, there's uh, visual evidence as well. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, uh, Max, I want you to just give us a synopsis for those people who aren't familiar with the incident, the yeah. downing of MH17. In your, in your words, explain what happened uh, briefly and why this is so significant. Well, the plane was flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur over Ukrainian airspace. And, uh, this was in, on July 17, July 17 2014. 2014. Yep. Um, there were other planes flying in the area, like Air India and Singapore Airlines. Uh, it was not closed airspace, but uh, unfortunately the plane was hit by some kind of weapon and it, it crashed. Uh, and it was it's crashed in the area that was held by rebels, that is still held by rebels in Ukraine. So there's a civil war going on. Uh, there's pro-Russian rebels, they are, they are fighting the Kiev uh, government and uh, that's how it all happened. Uh, the Ukrainian government did not close the airspace, although there were warnings that yeah. there might be uh, air defense systems and dangerous other weapons uh, in the area. Uh, because so rebels have been downing fighter jets, Ukrainian fighter jets, a few days before MH17 happened. So there were signs for, you know, closing up the airspace because it was not safe to fly over that zone. And then when the plane crashed, it's like uh, the international rules, the country where the plane crashes leads the investigation officially. Well, because you know, Ukraine was one of the potential suspects, uh, they agreed with the Dutch to make an international investigation team, that's why it's called a joint investigation team. And then uh, with uh, aviation law you need to have uh, like the, the, the country that produced the plane, uh, the country that owns the plane, uh, the country where the plane crashed, the country that lost most of the passengers, so you have all kinds of regulations and that's why they made this joint investigation team. However, surprisingly, until November of the first year, uh, without Malaysia, uh, Malaysia was excluded. Yeah. which was very surprising. So you could say this is a very politicized air crash investigation from the beginning. And it seems to get worse and worse. And now we have the status now is that the joint investigation team, the prosecution team has appointed five, uh, four uh, suspects. And they will be trialed in Schiphol Airport, Netherlands, uh, in a high security compound. Um, Probably in absentia, starting Monday, this Monday. Yeah, Monday, Monday. Mar Monday, March, March the 9th. 9th, yeah. yep. And uh, so what's the, the significance of this? Is This is a real uh, touchstone for the geopolitical battle between the United States and Russia on, on the big picture. It's, uh, it's also the basis for sanctions as well, uh, certainly European oh, sanctions against Russia. They've, they've used the downing or the accusation that Russia yeah. is responsible. So the bottom line is uh, there was blame apportioned immediately in the press by governments, by the U.S. government, mm -hmm. that, that it was a Russian uh, missile system or the Russians were backing or instructing the rebels. Yeah. Uh, and the joint investigation team, I was in interesting that they immediately came out and said that the you know they believed or they, it's likely that the mm -hmm. the Russians were behind it before any real evidence was presented. It's still to this day the the language is a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but um, I think it's also should be said that a few hours after the crash, SBU, its Ukrainian secret service, already released a wiretaps um, as a proof. Uh, that the rebels uh, downed MH17 and in our documentary that we also showed um, yesterday uh, we have uh, audio expert, Malaysian audio expert um, uh, proving that these tapes were tempered 
but these were the first evidence that everybody based their conclusions on. Yeah. That's it's like all the rebels admit themselves yeah, they did it. Yeah, yeah. So they the were very taps. fast to jump to that conclusion. Yeah. Oh, you see, there are wiretaps. Um, and yesterday we um, also had this uh, Malaysian expert um, with us, and he made new um, analysis for us of new wiretaps. Because the criticism was what, that those first wiretaps uh, that were published by SBU, they're not part of official investigation. SBU is the uh, Ukrainian uh, Secret, Service. Secret Service. So we asked uh, this expert to analyze the wiretaps that are part of official investigation. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Max? Yeah, and they were presented in the joint investigation team first press conference in September 2016. Um, so the phone tap, it turns out, is also very suspicious, and there are the Akash Roshan, the, the audio expert, is still studying it. Mm -hmm. But he already had conclusions that some of the things were edited, they merged, and uh, mm -hmm. manipulated. So this is uh, quite significant for the court case, uh, knowing that you have different types of evidence, like phone taps from the secret service. Mm -hmm. They are not reliable already. We have proven it. Anonymous witnesses, some maybe not anonymous, and uh, data from the United States uh, secret uh, military. Classified so, data. Classified. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see how the judge and the defense and the prosecutor will, will deal with this type of evidence. Mm. And you have to understand, uh, GIT, the official investigators, they admitted that SBU is their only source of these wiretaps. And that's uh, mm -hmm. one of like major evidence yeah. in the case that we basically destroyed with this, you know, analysis uh, this of this Malaysian of, expert. This is a bit unprecedented. You have two different intelli allied intelligence agencies providing key evidence mm -hmm. to the prosecution in an international case like this that's meant to be uh, neutral, it's meant to mm -hmm. be fair and, and not biased. Mm -hmm. uh, but isn't there a real danger, there's a real danger here that the way that they're collecting and collating their evidence for this investigation, it's actually very different from the way I'm looking at how you're working. Well, in your independent investigation, you're taking a much different approach, aren't you? Well, the Dutch, did, the Dutch official investigators, they cannot do their investigation without Ukraine because Ukraine has all the phone taps. Uh, Ukraine, the territory, uh, they control who can go to the crash site and who cannot. So for the Dutch, they're really, uh, they have no chance to do anything without the Ukrainians. Uh, but they're, it's, it's like they say that the Ukrainians are very cooperative and they don't cheat and they give, them, give the Dutch everything they need. Uh, but we just prove that the taps are fake. So how can you, a potential, yeah. how can a potential uh, suspect be part of the evidence on the prosecution team how is it even possible that this happened in the first place? So, uh, so just quickly, Max, how, how are you looking at this? How did you start approaching this from an investigative point of view? A lot of people have read your blogs, mm -hmm. the various blogs that you have published, and a lot of great material there. You're, you're, you're different. Initially, when you came out on this story, you didn't take a side. A lot of people oh, felt I still don't. they felt compelled to either side with the Russian, uh, the pro-Russian side, or the pro-NATO side. Yeah. You, you didn't take uh, really the bait on on either direction. No, you have the pro-Russian psycho fans. Anything Putin does is good. You have the uh, the pro-Ukraine guys. It has to be a democracy. They have to go away from uh, Russia. They have to become part of NATO. And it's, it's all like it's like. What really happened is not important, it's just when it fits your own political agenda, oh, yeah. then you're going to sell the story. Yeah. Uh, the way I approach it is just, I look at all the evidence that is presented, and then about the Russian lies, and uh, 
it is, it is very well documented in the West, so I don't have to put my energy in there. But then about the official evidence that's presented or the credibility of the open source investigations with low resolutions, video, etc., uh, that intrigued me from the beginning. So I'm not taking sides. I don't even today, I don't have, I have my own ideas about what could have happened, but I'm not going to share my personal ideas because I don't have uh, underlying proof to back up any claim in that direction. It's just that it seems that every stakeholder, the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Dutch, the Americans, everybody has something to hide. Mm -hmm. And that's why we don't get the complete picture. Yep. So that is my position. I want to take away the curtain and look behind the scenes, which is very difficult and to do. stay away from the politics, the political side. It's, it's almost impossible yeah. because uh, people uh, opposing the way I approach this, they have their own agenda. and. If you don't agree with them, then you are biased and you are a truther and things like this. So you have to, it's, it's unpleasant, but you have to deal with this. So uh, Jana, you and Max have been to the Donbass uh, yeah. multiple times. I know you've been a number of times, Max, and you've been on the ground. Tell us, there, there's a lot of people who have um, uh, really bigged up the open source investigative revolution in media and you have organizations that are have backing from various state funded NGOs like Bellingcat for instance uh, and they're given prominent position in New York Times uh, in of course on the mainstream <laughs> media so you've actually been on the ground mm -hmm. to investigate yourself you've you've picked up wreckage you've discovered wreckage oh, yeah. from the plane and then submitted it to the authorities there yeah. So what, what, what is the They big were never put on the uh, mock-up of a plane, never. Uh, the, yeah. And they never made it to the final DSB report. That's Although pretty. they're uh, part of cockpit. Uh, might the roof be, parts, very yeah, crucial parts might, Yeah, might be very important for the investi investigation, but no. What was your, when you first got to the Donbass, to the crash site, I know you've probably studied this from a distance, mm -hmm. you both have you know, looked at this you know, through media. What's it like, uh, I'll start with you, Jana, on the ground, um, how did you, what, what sort of sense or feeling did you get from the residents there about this incident, about the downing MH17? Was it a traumatic incident for the local uh, people there? Was it a surprise? Mm -hmm. uh, just well, I think it's absolutely essential to uh, do a ground check work. Uh, that's what we've been doing um, a lot. Um, and I would say that uh, we are very grateful uh, to the locals. They've been very helpful. These people, for them, it was a very uh, traumatic experience. Um, they were absolutely uh, willing to help out in any way they could. Of course, there are some people that don't want to go on camera uh, because of political situation. Again, they don't know what's happening, if they're going to join Russia, if they're uh, coming back to Ukraine. Uh, they're afraid of some measures that can be taken against them. But we're so grateful to people uh, who were brave enough to testify on camera because this is our position. We include in our videos and documentary only people who are willing to go on camera. Uh, we don't have anonymous witnesses. Um, so uh, we are really grateful to a lot of locals who were very helpful. Um, I think what we've been able to achieve uh, for a lot of the part is thanks to the locals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you agree with me? Yeah. yeah. And these people have been traumatized. They have been living in a war zone. And there yeah. have been people shredded to pieces by artillery, by, uh, I mean, Kiev fired ballistic missiles. Uh, 
into uh, uh, civilian populated areas. Uh, it's very, very underreported, but this is really going on. And there's, uh, from both sides, there's violations of human rights, there's torture of prisoners. Uh, these people go through all this, and they, they already went through a very difficult time after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, when you go a little bit more back in history. So these, the suffering continues, and now it's like a fraternal war, brother against, literally brother against brother, fighting in trenches against each other. Uh, it's horrible. And it's really because, uh, like, Ukraine is on the crossroads between the West and Russia, it's like squashed between these two powers. It's very sad to see. Yeah, very we, sad. We have a clip that you, uh, you released. You actually premiered it at the uh, public meeting uh, last night. It's a five-minute yeah. clip. Uh, we're going to roll that in a second, but just explain, uh, set this, this uh, clip up. Tell us um, what it's about. You're going to roll the whole clip, or...? Uh, yeah, we do the five minutes. Yeah, the five yeah minute so clip, yeah. maybe it's better to watch it first, and then we explain what it is about? Well, we got a leaked document uh, yeah, from a witness well, testimony. That's a spoiler, but okay. That's, that's, that's going to be in the clip. Yeah, yeah. And then when we watch the clip, we'll explain why we went to this witness. I think it's self-explanatory. Okay. Okay, we're going to roll that now. Usually when going to Donbass, we search for witnesses going from door to door, quite literally. This time it was a bit different. We knew exactly who we were looking for. Alexander! Alexander! We didn't catch Alexander the first time around. His neighbor said he went to Ukraine for a few days to get his pension, and she gave us his mobile number to arrange a meeting. So we did, and a few days later finally met Alexander and heard his story. Александр Альбертович, расскажите, 17 июля 2014 года, где вы были, что делали? Я находился тут, на огороде, вот тут у меня были помидоры. Вон, пустомесы, но тут летит, вот тут почему-то, где вот у деревья орех, пассажирский. Удивился большой, никогда тут я не видел пассажирские самолеты. Облака вот его. А куда военные самолеты полетели, вы говорите? Они следом по этой траектории шли. То есть следом за пассажирским? Да. А вы еще видели самолет пассажирский или он уже скрылся? Он еще чуть был виден, а эти уже вот там показались. Alexander said he told the same story to the Dutch investigators via Skype way back in 2015. That's when we had to tell him we already knew it and came to check. А почему вы решили и как вы вообще решили позвонить следователям? Ну, по телевизору номер, который не оплачивается, так и так, кто знает об этой трагедии. На всех телеканалах было. Вы решили позвонить и что им сказали? Сказали, что летел пассажир, сказали, два истребителя по той же траектории. 
Сколько раз у вас был контакт? Два раза. Только два раза. А зачем второй раз они перезванивали? Как направление было. Я говорю, направ... какие дальше города? Я говорю, да, Шакировск, но летел не по Кировску, а левее. Так раз он посыпалку. Они спросили вас про Бук? Они говорили, а там установку видели, я говорю, не было тут установок. Well, that's probably when the Dutch lost interest and never called again. Or ever came to check the witness testimony. Don't be deceived by Alexander's simple looks. Despite his simple, uneasy life, he tries to keep up with the modern world and is quite smart and analytical. This GIT witness was the one who pointed out to us the inconsistency in Wiretap's narrative, published by Ukrainian Secret Service, when the MH17 wreckage was still burning. В Донецкой области нет шахты Петропавловской? There's no such mine in the area where MH17 was falling apart and crashed, says the local. Did SBU edit the content of wiretaps to accuse the rebels of what they didn't do? We did fact-checking. Other locals confirmed there is no open or closed Petropavlovskaya mine anywhere near Petropavlovka. But in neighboring Lugansk region, near Lysyshans town, there certainly used to be a Petropavlovskaya mine now closed, and 14th July 2014, just three days before the MH17 crashed, rebels did down a fighter jet exactly in that area. So is that what the wiretap was really about? Because now it certainly sounds like it. That was a fantastic clip, I mean, really well produced um, from, a, from a cinematographer point of view and also from a production point of view. Great uh, piece of film. Uh, just explain to us how that story, uh, how you got that story and how you sort of plugged into uh, that Do particular witness. Do you want to explain that, Max? Oh, Well, we obtained a leaked document about mm -hmm. uh, this Alexander who lives in this uh, Yanakivo town, city, and uh, well, we decided to visit him and to ask for him his side of the story. To so you see, you see one document is one thing, but when you meet the guy in life, it's really exciting. Like uh, the settings, like in the, he lives in the pink house and all that, it's like, wow, I was very excited to meet him. And uh, well, you can explain better what, what we discussed with him. Uh, yeah, so we basically, we didn't tell him uh, where we knew about him uh, from, who we knew uh, about yeah. him from. Uh, so we just said, oh, you know, we heard that you saw something on 17th, you remember, that's when the Boeing crashed. So uh, he talked to us, he gave the testimony. We could compare it with what we saw in the leaked document. It matched. Yeah. So that's uh, when we told him, you know, we actually knew uh, story already. Um, and um, yeah, he, I mean, he looks like, you see, he looks like, um, I don't know. Secluded. Uh, yeah, secluded kind a Herman, of. A Herman. A, um, yeah. You would think that, um, you know, he leads some kind of um, not normal life or whatever. He doesn't have teeth, uh, but that's because he has been a minor. He had been minor for a long time, so he, that's how he lost his teeth. But uh, the more we talk to him, the more we uh, realize that he's a really smart guy. 
Uh, he cares about things that uh, go on. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe uh, it's also relevant to mention that in the when he was a conscript in the still your Soviet Union times, he worked at the air defenses, so he got very yeah. interested in uh, planes and everything. Mm -hmm. So he's always following everything. And he's much smarter than you would see in the clip itself. Well, you see, he has a laptop, he has Wi-Fi, yeah. he has Skype, he talked, mm -hmm. he, he, he contacted the investigators himself. So uh, yeah, don't they underestimate talked on Skype. him. Yeah, investigators so. uh, called, them, uh, called him and they had a Skype session. There's some condescending remarks on YouTube and uh, uh, that's uh, really, these people should yeah. be ashamed. And then he tells us, oh, you know, this wiretaps, the rebels are talking. They're not talking about this uh, time MH17 was down. And we're like, why not? And he shows us this clip and he says, uh, Petropavlovskaya mine. There is no Petropavlovskaya mine in this mm -hmm. area. Yes, uh, the, the plane uh, started uh, crashing at Petropavlovka. It's a village uh, Petropavlovka. Yeah, uh, in uh, yeah in uh, uh, in Donbas, and yeah. uh, he says, but uh, there is no Petropavlovsky mine there. That's not how we called our mines here. Mm -hmm. It's uh, mine number two. We, we call it by numbers, so no local, no rebel would ever refer to any mine in the area as Petropavlovsky mine. But he says there is Petropavlovsky mine in uh, neighboring Lugansk region. And uh, three days before the crash, rebels did down their plane, but a fighter jet. A Ukrainian. A Ukrainian. A Ukrainian yes. 14th of July. Yeah. So you think that the, they spliced uh, that wiretap into a different conversation? Yeah. Well, Implying Akash that... Akash already the audio yeah. expert, already uh, dissected this tape. It's, mm -hmm. it's doctored, it's edited, it's glued together from different conversations. You see? So, so it would the, be yeah. fabulous if uh, Alberto with uh, Alexander, with his... Uh, thinking we can prove that it was really doctored because it's from an event that happened three days before. Mm -hmm. So we're still working on this, but it's, it shows how bright this man is. Frame, you know, to frame uh, the rebels for MH17. And yeah. so that was totally happenstance that you weren't expecting to get that, that information, but you can only get that when you're on the ground exactly. investigating and talking yeah. to real witnesses. To be honest, I only picked it up when yeah. she explained it to me the when we were in the car already leaving. Well, yeah, because of, you know, Russian language and everything. Yeah. But, I mean, that's why I'm saying uh, locals, really, they've been so helpful. Because things like that you would never know until you talk to locals. Yeah, and the big, one of the big uh, divisions and splits in the two opposing main theories uh, of what happened is that you know, the, the, the Western narrative really centers around uh, the rebels using a Russian book uh, surface-to-air missile system, and they shot down the plane, and then that book came from Russia and was you know, driven back to Russia after the mm -hmm. plane went down. And then uh, there's an, an, an opposing narrative, which is that uh, a Ukrainian fighter jet uh, might have, uh, for whatever reason, uh, shot uh, the plane, or that uh, it might have created a situation of confusion on the ground, whereby... Uh, Could have been a target uh, for from the air missile and it missed. From the Ukrainian side or from the rebel side, you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, the, But the eyewitnesses uh, that you spoke to, mm -hmm. there's multiple uh, eyewitnesses that have testified to uh, fighter jets being in the same vicinity at the same mm -hmm. time with MH17, right? Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely many, impossible many. to ignore the fact of the presence of, uh, yeah, Ukraine. It's impossible all these people are lying. And that's, if you interview them now five years later, maybe they don't remember the exact weather situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe they, they cannot describe exactly how far the plane was. Can mm -hmm. you describe if a plane is three miles distance yeah. or five miles, uh, the sound? So uh, let's say the, JITS, the joint investigation team should have collected all these evidences mm -hmm. right from the start and admit, put pressure on Ukraine. You guys, 
had fighter jets in the area. Please don't lie. What it has eventually with the reconstruction, what really happened, if it's significant or not, that is another matter. But mm -hmm. these planes were there. You're, and I repeat it, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're a truther. Yeah. To Again. use the words of my opponents, if you deny that these jets were there. We don't have all answers, but we have so many questions. And this is one of the main questions. Why are you denying the presence of fighter jets that day? in the close vicinity to the to know what happened to MH17. Why? And I Ukrainian mean, if, if radar systems not, were working. Yeah, They're lying yeah. about this, that but, they were but, all on maintenance. Has, have, has radar data uh, that would show the presence of jet fighters around MH17, has that been released or has that been presented? Well, the Russians claim they have it and then they claim they didn't see it with another radar. So the Russian position is very confusing. Uh, to be honest, I'm disgusted by the fact they don't clarify this and they don't release the military radar data. So this obfuscation from the Russian side, it's uh, also not acceptable to me. But the Ukrainians, they're definitely lying. They do have the radar data, the, the first, uh, the primary and secondary radar, they, they have it. They have the military, like mobile Malachit systems. They have all that. They've covered the whole area. They, they haven't presented it? No, and the Dutch are not pushing them. They're not. They're criticizing Russia for not giving proper radar data, but the Ukrainians, they don't deliver the same type of data that they have, and they're mm -hmm. not criticized. It's like, then they say, oh, well, we have enough uh, information. We don't need the radar data. But if Russia, yeah. then the Russia messes up, yeah. then they say, or Russia oh, they, they, they don't help the, the, <laughs> the investigation. It, was, it wasn't in the right format, the Russian, mm. there, yeah. was, there was another criticism. A lot of nitty-gritty up and down. But also, Max, the uh, document that we leaked yesterday for the first time, um, the minutes were, um, the countries that are part of uh, GIT uh, discuss this radar data situation. Mm. Um, for one thing, the, uh, Malaysia was not present uh, at this meeting again because oh. they say they couldn't reach Malaysia on the phone. Well, so far we uh, have only published three screenshots. We still have to publish the complete yeah, document. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so they're discussing about um, uh, Russia and Ukraine providing radar data. They say media raises questions. Well, Russia and Ukraine yeah. provided us with some information. But media is also asking uh, questions about American uh, satellite uh, data. And the document says that they didn't provide us with anything. And yeah. that was also for us uh, like uh, yeah. revelation. Officially, they're so cooperating and there's talk behind the scenes yeah. and the, 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 the investigators get to see all the evidence that the Americans have, even if it stays classified. But then when you see the document that is secret, you see it's not at all. It's February 2016 and they say that Americans didn't provide us with anything. And uh, it's also amazing because with this recent um, Iranian the, the, plane, Ukra the Ukrainian Airways uh, flight that was shot down as it took off from Tehran, International mm -hmm. Airport mm -hmm. during the uh, the standoff between the U.S. and Iran, mm -hmm. and there was a downed uh, jet, and so eventually, after 48 hours, the Iranians said uh, it was an accident. Yeah. Uh, it was a surface-to-air missile was triggered, a system was triggered, and it shot this plane down. But the main evidence for that came from the U.S. From to, exactly the, that you made see. it a big media event. So why can't the U.S. provide that satellite data for the MH17 incident? I have no answer to that question. That's a good Patrick. question. That would help, wouldn't maybe, it? Maybe you, should ask your, maybe you should ask your president. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're an American, yeah. There's a lot of questions that people would like to ask our president. Um, but uh, just let's just talk uh, briefly. We'll have a, uh, wrap it up in a few minutes. But um, the, the politicization, what the political pressure that must be on 
the joint investigation team. Now, we have seen recently with the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, mm -hmm. the OPCW, which yeah. is also based in The Hague, uh, about the Duma, alleged chemical weapons attacks in Duma. And there's been leaks coming from the OPCW, uh, employees, engineers, people who are on the ground who said our findings weren't presented uh, in the final report. And so what this showed us is that there was a, there's a lot of political pressure coming mainly from the United States uh, because there's it's a high-stakes geopolitical mm -hmm. game. But do you think there's potential, well, this is happening with the, with the joint investigation team as well, all these are supposed to be neutral, uh, designed to be non-biased, designed to be neutral, not to favor a particular side. But what isn't there, is the reality something different? Uh, you know, is that is that what's happening? Are they neutral? How how significant is the political pressure uh, on this particular? I think better the Dutchman answers this question. Really, you understand Dutch um, uh, better than me. Well, let's look at the joint investigation team. There's Malaysia as the only independent neutral country, not part of any bloc. You have Australia; it's part of the Five Eyes. You have Belgium. You have a. Netherlands, part of NATO. You have Ukraine with the regime change after the Kiev, the Maidan revolution. Um, so you have a very strong bloc, anti-Russian bloc. And then you have Malaysia a little bit on the side, separate, trying to wiggle in between, try to keep good relations with Russia and with the West. So it's very obvious that this is a very extremely politicized investigation. The choice could have been to include Russia as one of the suspects, and Ukraine is one of the suspects, and say we do an international investigation, we do everything transparent. Uh, the choice was made not to do it, and this has to be, the, the reason why it is is secret. Uh, there is a secret uh, agreement of what these countries mm -hmm. uh, agreed with each other. So it's just uh, very clear to everybody that this is a politicized investigation. and. Uh, of course, there's pressure from the United States. Uh, there's no hard proof, but you, you, everybody understands that there's uh, different uh, entities struggling against Russia. There's, there's an information war going on. Yep. There's almost a real war going on, like in Syria, uh, when you talk about uh, OPCW. So yes, this is a, one of the most politicized uh, air crash investigations of all times. So mm -hmm. I think everybody yeah, I will agree. agree. And uh, so you've also been attacked uh, by a number of mainstream media outlets. Most recently, the BBC yeah. uh, monitoring. Uh, they took a swipe, really, at uh, your, one of the leaks that you published with Bonanza Media. By the way, the, the way that you're doing this is very unique. So you've produced a documentary film. You have an ongoing investigation. Mm -hmm. You're doing live streams. If you receive leaks, you're vetting them. You're double, yeah. triple checking everything. Oh, absolutely. And we have a lot of leaks that yeah. we didn't even read yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're be, you're very careful with yeah. what you publish, mm -hmm. and you're triple checking everything. Yeah. And then you're doing uh, you're presenting this to people who are you know subscribers, mm -hmm. followers, yeah. uh, supporters, and and also continuing with the film production and the investigation. So this is kind of a uh, a process that you're doing. It's very different than most people. They do the whole film. They'll do wrap it up and they'll move on to the next project. You've right. got kind of an ongoing. Uh, investigation here that's now running parallel with with a, a, a trial uh, mm -hmm. which is happening in The Hague uh, starting next week so uh, it's well, really that, case, that court case is gonna last for like four or five years now that there's a defense team 
But maybe also uh, I have a question for you about OPCW, all that, but your 21st century wire, you, you're following not only MH17, like we are a little bit yeah. one-trick ponies at the moment, yeah, but you do yeah. like the whole spectrum of geopolitics. So uh, the, the name Bellingcat keeps popping up also with OPCW, so could you educate us uh, about this? I, uh, I think uh, Bellingcat, open source investigation organizations like this, they're the main one, and they're also receiving the most awards, the most plaudits, they're mm -hmm. getting the most funding. Uh, but I, I think this is like a, an over, a reliance by the establishment, the mainstream press. They don't do real investigative work anymore. So what they do is they rely on, they outsource that, or they uh, depend on the belling cats of the world to provide evidence to uh, provide, you know, to fill in a narrative that's already been decided in advance. And in the case of MH17, the narrative was more or less. Unanimous. Yeah, Putin's missile that was after a few hours. Putin's but the missile, Duma thing, yeah. uh, what was the official narrative? And there, I read about a certain Mr. Henderson, and there's Peter Hitchens very active. Mm -hmm. uh, could you explain in short, there's like a paradigm no, shift? <laughs> no, no, we're interviewing no, Patrick. Okay. No, no, I think uh, just just in brief, in brief, uh, the... Uh, the, the leakers have gone and given information to what they believe were trusted sources. But these are inside people in the OPCW. These are in, these are people yeah, who are on the ground. That's what I understand. One of the, the only engineer on the ground in Duma, actually, uh, was Ian Henderson. Uh, but there's also internal leaks coming about interference by U.S. officials inside agents showing up in the OPCW in in the office of the executive with yeah. fact-finding people saying, "No, this is what happened." We talk about chlorine cylinders, they were dropped by the Assad regime from helicopters and then the chlorine gas leaked and then people died. So That's that the allegation. The official, yeah. That yeah. was the allegation, but not... Yeah. It was based on three, two or three YouTube videos that came out. In the US, France, Britain made their decision based on what was online before any investigation took place. And they were very adamant to rush their uh, military action before there was investigation. So what is that? That's open source uh, mentality. That's like, well, it's on the internet, so it must be true. So YouTube starting a war, basically, is, yeah. is, what, is the, what we're facing here. I don't think MH17 is that different in this case. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Do you see the similarities in absolutely, this? Absolutely, absolutely. But not just Duma, not just MH17, mm -hmm. but uh, so many other, mm -hmm. uh, the Skripal uh, affair in, in Britain as well. Mm -hmm. This follows some of that pattern as well. This is the future. So I think it's very easy to manipulate uh, a public opinion by laundering yeah, the course. findings of uh, open yeah. source investigators mm -hmm. in, through the mainstream media, gives it credibility, like the SBU uh, wiretaps, nobody questioned that no. mm -hmm. in the mainstream media or the the, the officials in, in Holland either. They just said, wow, that fits our narrative. So exactly. this goes in yeah. right front and center in terms of evidence. So I, I, I like what you're doing. And the, of course, the reason I got interested in, in Bonanza Media and uh, your work was because you're taking a, a, an evidence-led approach. Mm -hmm. And I don't see many people doing this especially on high-profile no, events, no. and this is when you need it most. Oh, we're, we're very careful with our claims, but the fact that we challenge the official narrative already enrages and outrages people that they cannot, they cannot deal with this. Yeah. All we get is insults and labeling. From somebody. That's it. Yeah. Nobody's debunking anything we present, you see? And all the, the leaks we present, they're very insignificant, but they feel the need to comment on it. Yeah. So they could maybe just and ignore insult. us then. Yeah, insult. Well, if you're a good referee, uh, at the end of the match, uh, half the stadium is going to 
be chasing you out to the parking lot, yeah. and the other half is going to be cheering you. Uh, this is just the way it goes. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> in this case, all the stadium is after you as well. So, um, but uh, before before we wrap it up, uh, just explain to us. Um, there's different ways that uh, people can support you, your project, uh, and how can they support you? Where do they go uh, to help out Bonanza Media? But also, how could they subscribe, for instance, to your uh, email newsletters and mm -hmm. things like this? Can you cover that, please, for me, partner? Yeah. Okay, um, well, we are not sponsored by the Kremlin. We don't get money for half a million euros from the Dutch postcode lottery. Uh, so we're really dependent <laughs> on small donors. And uh, anything that you give to us helps us. We want to go back to Donbass. Uh, you can support us through Patreon, through PayPal. Uh, my personal bank details are on the YouTube channel. When you go to Bonanza Media on YouTube, we have a Twitter account. Uh, there's many ways to contact us and to support us and really asking you to do it if you like what we're doing. And uh, you might be launching a website soon. Oh, think, yeah. As well. We we're, have so many We're with the two of us and yeah. uh, we have a million things to do. And you also have a few other projects that you've worked on. I mean, there was a very interesting uh, film you made about uh, uh, child services. Oh, yeah, in, um, uh, in Norway. Taking ch children yeah. in Norway. Uh, that's yeah. also available in your... Channel right uh, yes, now. it is, and thank you for uh, mentioning it because it's also it's it's a different topic, but also mm -hmm. devastating. What's going on with this? Uh, so yeah, I mean, MH17 uh, at the moment is taking uh, all our time, twenty four seven. The Norway story she's working on. It's like uh, children from foreign parents are taken away by the Norwegian government and placed mm -hmm. in Norwegian families uh, under Foster completely. Care. Yeah. Under yeah. completely crazy uh, allegations. So, uh, yeah, but we know she's now busy with MH17, but this is one thing she's really also coming back. We are going to do other projects, of course, yeah. but this is MH17 is so huge, mm. and uh, uh, we're lucky to have a lot of material to work with. So, um, yeah, we're totally devoted to that topic uh, at the moment. Uh, but hopefully, uh, we're getting more and more audience and more and more people will support us and we get more oh, and we more... we see it happening already. Yeah, and we get more and more, uh, you know, uh, people support and crowdfunding. And yeah, we're hoping to do more projects in the future, definitely. Well, but I can, I can say from what I've seen from your work, Bonanza Media is absolutely independent, absolutely nonpartisan, and really sound investigative. Uh, methods, uh, mm -hmm. your methodology is, is very good. You're very transparent about it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but and I like this. That is also thanks to people uh, like you, who just you know uh, hosted yesterday the event, just you know because you uh, I know like us and uh, you appreciate what we do. Uh, the same the people uh, we work with, uh, you know, they don't ask much. They just uh, help us do good product mm -hmm. uh, because they're also. Uh, they care about what we're doing. So, um, yeah, but uh, still I think that people should get paid decent money for their work. That's why you have to understand and filming, you know, it takes a lot of uh, money. So that's why, of course, we have to ask all the time <laughs> for uh, financing. But uh, yeah, we're, I mean, it's, it's a hard way, but I think we'll get there when we, yeah, we'll be able to do more and have more resources, yeah. 
Well, keep up the great work, and uh, we'll be following you closely. Obviously, well, we're going to be going to The Hague as well, uh, and the trial starting next week. That's going to be very interesting, but that's just the beginning, I think, yeah. of a process yeah. that's coming. But uh, thank you, Yana Yelashova mm -hmm. and Max Vanderwoof. Thank you very much. Bonanza Media is the organization, and uh, we're glad to have you joining us today on this special edition of the UK Column. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Take care, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week.